0: all right well as you are getting your bibles out i would invite you to open them up to jeremiah chapter 29 that's we're going to be at this morning before we dive into that uh there is an announcement it is an important one that i forgot (laughs) okay my bad uh next sunday is going to be a little unique for a variety of reasons number one we're not going to be here next sunday okay so that's the main reason Um, we are all instead going to hopefully be at central campus where we're going to have a combined service north campus central campus and east campus and really it's it's the last um kind of the last service where pastor gilmore is gonna to, gonna to be um preaching the word and we're gonna be using that time to really um kind of honor him and thinking back on the legacy that he you know that god has used him for at parkview and then kind of looking ahead a little bit as well so um so if you come here next sunday around 10:30, you will be alone okay except you might be with the other folks who wouldn't listen though i guess so Um, I think the times, I think in the bulletin, maybe 9 and 11, does that sound right, anybody know, if not, look at the website, that'd be fine, okay, so, uh, I thought there was one more thing I was going to say, but that's it, awesome, so we are in a series, um, kind of just a brief series here, um, called Life Matters, so first couple weeks we looked at um, family and the home, Um, last week we looked at, Pastor Foster was here, and we looked at marriage, Um, And this week, um, it is my joy to be able to preach from Jeremiah 29 on the topic of City Matters. And so that's the title of the sermon, City Matters. You may be thinking to yourself, that seems like a hard left um, from marriage to city, uh, but i assure you it is not ultimately what we're trying to do with this series is help us understand as the people of god what it means to live a life that is faithful to god right and so we just taking a few aspects of our life that we many of us share in common and trying to flesh through what does it look like to live out um, the life that god has called us to in the context of home marriage or city um, so jeremiah 29 if you don't have a bible put your hand up i think craig would be glad to just stand right back up and hand you one just kidding <laughs> Get too comfortable over there well it's got to keep him on his toes all right uh, we're gonna be looking at Jeremiah 29 verses 1 through 14 um, I will pray or I will read that and I'll pray for us and we will dive right in so this is Jeremiah 29 verses 1 through 14 these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the Queen Mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Germariah the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said... Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. When you seek me with all your heart i will be found by you declares the lord and i will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where i have driven you declares the lord and i will bring you back to the place from which i sent you into exile let's pray father god it's a joy for us to be able to gather as your people this morning to be able to sit with your word open before us this morning, Lord, to hear your voice this morning. Lord, our prayer is simple. Lord, you know what we bring into this room. You know um, the truth that each of us is wrestling with, the reality that each of us faces. Lord, I pray that this word this morning, that, Lord, it would be written on our hearts, Father, that you would show us very clear ways in which we can obey it, Lord, we can follow it. Lord, I thank you for it. Lord, I ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever found yourself in an environment that is new? Perhaps a new neighborhood, a community, school, maybe even a foreign land. Maybe you found yourself there as a visitor, or perhaps even a new resident. If you have, then you will know how valuable it is to have some form of a guide. Some people who can point you in the right direction, how you should operate within that new context. Kurt and I were just talking this week about their new adventure heading off to Texas. All right? One of the questions I asked him was, do you, do you know anybody there? And one of the assurances he gave is, yes, one of the... We do know folks there, and they will be helpful. It will be good to connect with them to know how to kind of live and and build a new life in this new context. It's helpful to have a guide. I've shared this story with you kind of in this smaller group context, but I'll share it again just as a large group. But um, some years ago, I spent the first time I traveled overseas, um, went as a mission group, a mission team from Parkview, and um, we landed in Poland. We were really going to Ukraine, but our transportation stuff was all going through Poland. And we got there, and we were exhausted. It was a long flight, as you can imagine. Uh, we got our bags. We went from the plane, essentially, directly to the train. We got on the train, and we were looking for a car. There was about four of us looking for a car that would fit all of us, It would accommodate all of us, so we could kind of comfortably sit together with people that we knew. The train was full. We found one car that had a gentleman sitting in it, sitting up against the edge, and so he he willingly scooted over to accommodate, make room for us. So we sat in there, and we were exhausted. We had our bags. We did a lot of traveling. It was a long couple of days. So we sat down, and our bags were at our feet. The gentleman was to my right, and and my friends were to my left. Across from us, there was a bench that was open. Sat there, and I thought to myself, I'm tired. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to get some shut-eye, take advantage of the opportunity, right? So I didn't think that was a bad thing at all, pretty harmless. So I get my bags situated, and I extend my feet out, Across the way to the bench that is across from me. Close my eyes. Within just a matter of moments, I'm asleep. Feeling pretty good, right? In about 10 minutes, maybe 10, 15 minutes, I feel a foreign object in my lap, okay? It was not there when I fell asleep. It is there now. It's concerning me. I'm uncomfortable. I don't know where I'm at. I don't know how to operate. We did a little bit of exploring on the culture, kind of knew a little bit of this and that, but I wasn't totally comfortable, so I kind of opened my eyes thinking maybe one of my friends had placed something on my lap, and I looked to my left, and they were all asleep. I grew, my concern grew, as you can imagine. I looked to my right, and uh, the gentleman who was next to me was staring at my face, and I didn't really know, well, first of all, I didn't know Polish, so I didn't know what to say. If I didn't know what to say, I didn't know how to say it, um, but my eyes just kind of got real open, I was like, you know. Can I help you with your bag? You know, and, uh, and uh, he looked at me and he said, do you like, with a, you know, a different accent, do you like my bag in your lap? <laughs> now, there's a missionary, I'm thinking, you know, I'll take one for the team, if that's what, you know, that's what it comes down to. But I, I, I kind of sensed he was setting me up, right? So I looked back at him and I said, I don't like your bag in my lap. And his gaze shifted from my face to my feet. And he said, and I don't like your feet on that bench. I don't like your feet on that bench. Well, I was completely humiliated, as you can imagine. The very people that I had gone there to share Jesus with and to love and to serve, I had greatly offended just without, like being on the country for a matter of a couple of minutes. Right? It was devastating. It's really effective if I wanted to be effective in ministry, if I wanted to fulfill my purpose that God had called me to in that place and in that time, it would be I really had to know how I was supposed to operate in that context, how I was supposed to live. What were the norms, the values, the expectations? What was the way of life? How should I live here? I needed some clarity on that. Brothers and sisters, at a much deeper level, that is the question that each one of us should be asking this morning if we are a follower of Jesus much like me in a foreign land sitting in that car next to a stranger we find ourselves in a very similar situation every day every single day and really that question answering that question how do we live in a foreign land is at the very heart of what Jeremiah is saying here in chapter 29 essentially what we'll see this morning is he answers the question How do the people of God live in a land that is not just foreign to God, but also hostile to God? To do that this morning, as we walk through the text, we will see the message. We'll see the mission he's called us to and the motivation we have to follow. So first up is the message. Now, before we get exactly at the heart of what Jeremiah is saying... It's helpful if we look at who he's saying it to. We see this in verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles. To the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Jeremiah is writing a letter. What we see in chapter 29 is a series of several letters that he is writing to God's people who are currently in a foreign land. They are in exile. If you know biblical history, you know that in the year 597 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar, as the Babylonian Empire was beginning to grow and become the domineering force in the world, moved in to Jerusalem and captured the city. They sacked the city, and they took 10,000 people. We see this in 2 Kings chapter 24. 10,000 of the best, the finest, and the fittest people that Israel had to offer. They took them off the top of the civilization, and they sent them into exile into Babylon. Jeremiah is writing this letter sometime between the years of 597 and 587 or 86, when Nebuchadnezzar would come back, and ultimately we'd see the total fall of the city of Jerusalem. So he's writing this letter in between those two time periods, those, those important periods in history of his time. We see in 2 Kings 24 that, that tells us that none remained except even the poorest people of the land. Jeremiah is writing to the exiles. Probably relate what it means to be in exile in some way, shape, or form, even this morning. Being in exile essentially means you are someplace that you do not want to be. Hopefully that doesn't describe you, any of you, like right now in this building, like you don't want to be here, okay? But being in exile is where you are, is not where you want to be. You have a longing. If you're in exile, you have a longing for home. And the more forceful, the more traumatic that uprooting is the harder it can be for you in your state of exile to make sense of the world around you now as you might imagine god's people were struggling to do just that struggling to make sense of what was happening right what had become their new reality their world had essentially crumbled around their feet They had been uprooted from their land, from the promised land, the very land that gave them an identity as a people. And now their identity is in jeopardy. They are dislocated. They are discouraged. They are defeated, and they are facing a future full of despair. Can you imagine the questions they'd be asking? What would you be asking if that described your situation? What are we to do now? Where is God, well, Jeremiah does us the wonderful service of answering those questions. How should we respond? Our reality is different. Our life is difficult. What do we do now? Well, his words come to them, His message comes to them in verses 5 and 6. This is what he says. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Jeremiah says, build houses. Essentially, settle in. This may not be your permanent home as a people, but it is your present home. This may not be your favorite place, but for right now, it's your place. Dig a foundation. Construct walls, put a roof over your head. Call this city your city. Says build houses. He also says, plant gardens. Become a productive, contributing member of Babylonian economy. Don't expect them to do it for you. Get your hands dirty with Babylonian soil. Learn how to work the ground. Understand the climate. Grow in appreciation for the cuisine. Get married, he says and have kids. This may not be the life that you have chosen, but it is your life. Get on with living. Now, does this language sound vaguely familiar to you at all? If you have any familiarity with the biblical story, it should. God is directing his people to fulfill the original vocation that was given to humanity, all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. They were to continue to multiply and to labor. Though they weren't in the land, God's law was still in force. And God's hand, we'll see, is still at work. His message to his people is clear. Participate in Babylonian life. Now, to be clear, this was not the message they wanted to hear nor was it the message they were hearing by other individuals. If you were to go down to verse 8, you would see that Jeremiah calls out false prophets who are giving a different message. In verse 8, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. Don't listen to them. There are others out there who are proclaiming a different message. What is their message? I'm glad you asked. We see in 27 verse 9. So do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your fortune tellers, or your sorcerers who are saying to you, you shall not serve the king of Babylon. So the message that Jeremiah is pushing up against, challenging them with, is this message that they don't have any business settling into the land right? Prophets were telling them they're not going to be there for a while. Hope is right around the corner. Don't get, don't get settled in here. Don't call this city your city, right? Don't serve this king. This is a shocking message, not just because of the message that they were going against the message they were hearing. It really is going against the message they wanted to hear in the first place, right? They wanted to be home. They, they don't want any business with Babylon, There they are on the fringes of this culture, on the fringes of this empire, and their tendency was to withdraw from Babylonian life, not participate. To seek their own comfort, to be comfortable with the people they're familiar with. Just stay there, huddled up. This is very, very different than what they wanted to hear. It's totally, totally different. Jeremiah is calling them to to be a people who are not who are not making decisions based on their own comfort not seeking to live a life that is as isolated and as comfortable as possible rather he's seeking them to live a life that is as deep as possible living deeply in Babylonian world being connected and concerned for the social economy the fabric and the the, the uh, economic fabric of their city no matter the place, of life, or the time of life, Jeremiah is saying, throw yourself in, participate in Babylonian life. Now, I wonder if there's anyone here today, specifically in our context, here in Iowa City, who needs to hear that message. Now, again, I've said this many times, I love this city, but it's a hard city to live in. It's a hard city to build community in, right? Because there are a number of folks who come here just for a brief moment of time, and maybe it describes some of you, Maybe pursuing a career or an education. You really just see Iowa City as a kind of a stepping stone to somewhere else. And that's good. Many of us, if it doesn't describe us now, maybe it did at one point, okay? And and the tendency can be is that as we pass through this community, the temptation can be to not participate in life. You know, I was probably a junior in college before I even discovered that there was an east side of Iowa City, right? As a student... My world revolved around the university. And it wasn't until a glorious moment when I had to renew my driver's license that I got onto a bus and discovered all that was Eastdale Plaza, right? And I was like, where in the world am I? I was not connected to my community. I did not participate in my city. And And Jeremiah is encouraging us to do the opposite to lean in to our city, to even, if we're here for a short period of time, to build relationships, to be fruitful, to multiply, to labor, participate. His message is clear. Participate in Babylonian life. Now, why would he tell them to do this? Again, this is a shocking message. It's not what they wanted to hear. It's not what they were being told by others. Why would he say this? outside of the fact that it's from the word of the Lord. Why would God tell his people to do this? We see that really the secret to that is in verse 7. It says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Just to give you a glimpse of how much they didn't want to do this, turn to Psalm 137. Okay. Mm-hmm. Psalm 137 shows what's in their heart while they're hearing this word. Psalm 137, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. And then when we remembered Zion on the willows there, we hung up our lyres. For there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors, mirth saying, sing us one of those songs, O Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set set Jerusalem above my highest joy, remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, let lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you. Folks, that's not at all what God's people wanted to do. The last thing God's people were concerned for was the welfare of that city that just took them from their home. They were praying for, longing for, not Babylon's welfare, but Babylon's destruction and doom. That's what they wanted. That's what was in their heart. But God is calling them to to a much different lifestyle. Seek the welfare. The word there is, the, is shalom, often translated peace. It's a little, little different from our current common day understanding of peace, which is primarily just the absence of war and conflict. Rather, it's referring to a completeness, a wholeness, when he says, seek the shalom of the city, ultimately what he's saying is, go into the city. Settle there. Live the life I have called you to for the city's benefit. Seek that city. What is broken in that city, help be a part of putting back together. What isn't working the way it should be, what is incomplete, help fill and complete. Seek the shalom of the city. Don't seek its destruction. Seek its Flourishing. And and when it flourishes, you flourish. See, this was God's purpose ultimately, all the way from the beginning. Go back to Genesis 12. God makes this wonderful covenant to Abraham. He calls to himself a people. And he says, I will make with my people, I will make you a great nation. And through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Folks, what he is telling God's people to do here in Jeremiah 29 is exactly what he has been doing all throughout history, right? His purpose from the very beginning, His plan has not, contrary to your belief, you might be looking around yourself, looking in your life, seeing chaos and confusion, things spinning out of control, and the conclusion that you would wrongfully draw is that God is nowhere to be found. God has abandoned me. God is not hearing me. But what God is saying is through all of that, in the midst of the chaos, God is still accomplishing his purposes. The place of God's people may have changed, but his purposes have not. This is ultimately why we can see Jesus stand before people and proclaim to them, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. This is why in the New Testament, God's people are often referred to as a people of peace. Jeremiah's letter was written absolutely for a particular people facing a unique challenge in an uncomfortable setting, but his message was not exclusively for them. In fact, this message, it gives shape, it provides direction for how we as God's covenant people are to live here in a foreign hostile land here, right now, in Iowa City. As Christians, our present present reality is very, very similar. Listen to how Peter refers to the early Christians in 1 Peter 2.11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. The Bible is absolutely clear as it describes us in our present reality, it does so with words such as exiles, sojourners. We saw this in Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This reality, the reality that you and I, as we are brothers and sisters in Christ, are exiles here in this land, doesn't mean that we don't care what happens to the culture around us. What he's saying is it means the absolute opposite. Right? He's called us a people to put his goodness, his greatness, his character on display. And the way we do that is not by retreating from the city, but by leaning into the city, becoming connected with our community. I would ask you this morning are you informed with some of the decisions that our community is wrestling with currently, whether it's at the city level or maybe the school district level? Are you aware? Not just now, but anytime. Are you aware of who the people are that is making those decisions? Are you concerned? You should be. This is an invitation to participation in that process. We are to become influencers in our city. We are to pray for our city. As we look around and we see brokenness and the immorality that maybe surrounds us, our heart should break for our city. That which is broken in our community should break us. As we are confronted with a culture increasingly secular and hostile to God, it seems, we can be very tempted to become passive, maybe even smirk a bit at the immorality around us. That's not the job of the salt of the earth. I've heard it said before, the salt of the earth does not mock rotting meat where it can it saves and it seasons and where it can't it weeps and it prays folks god has not abandoned his people he is at work even in the midst of their exile so as he's called us to this mission he shows us what his purpose is is what he's doing throughout time he also provides for us as we continue on the motivation to do what he's asking us to do now we saw this in verse 4 something interesting we skipped over the time but we see it again in verse 7 and again in verse 14. i'm gonna read it real quick and see if you can see what these verses have in common thus says the lord of hosts the god of israel to all the exiles whom i have sent into the exile from jerusalem to babylon seek the welfare of the city where i have sent you into exile i will bring you back to the place from which. I sent you into exile. What's another shocking thing about what God is saying to his people is that ultimately he's the one who's responsible for the Israelites' exile. Right? He was the one who sent them. The analogy has been used that if Nebuchadnezzar was the hammer who struck God's people, God was the hand swinging it. Why would God do that? Are we comfortable with a God who would do that? Why would he do that? As you read throughout the book of Jeremiah and the other prophets, it becomes absolutely clear why God did that. This was an act of God's judgment. Judgment upon a nation, the nation of Israel, for their consistent rebellion against the compassionate God. They had become a people who had given themselves to idolatry. They had fully embraced oppression and, dare I say, social injustice. God had given them his law. He had called them to be a people. And his design from the absolute beginning was that he would set for himself a people who would reflect his character to the nations. The nations would see God in looking at his people. But instead, what was happening was God's people just looked like everybody else. They wanted their gods. They wanted to act like that. They wanted to live like that, have marriages like that, have sex like that, do their money like that. They embraced the world around them. That's the life they wanted. And, folks, God had enough. And they knew it. They saw their destruction ultimately as an act of God's judgment. That's why, in many ways, they had completely abandoned hope. They saw their removal from the land as the end of their identity as a nation and as a people. They were broken. God, where are you? And yet, it is in this context, this context of judgment and of despair, that God speaks hope. Even when all else looks lost, there is a hope for the future. And this hope would serve ultimately as their motivation for doing what he told them to do in verses five and six. Hope will come, it won't be sudden. In fact, we see that this generation that is actually hearing these words as they are being read to God's people in exile, this generation isn't going to experience life back home. Seventy years, we're told in verse 10, they will be there. They're not going home, but yet he's extending them hope. And Hope comes in the form of Jeremiah 29, 11. Anybody familiar with that verse? Anybody heard that verse? It's a favorite verse of many people. Rightfully so. It is an absolutely beautiful verse. It's a verse that plasters T-shirts, coffee mugs, Instagram posts. It's a wonderful, it's a beautiful verse of God's hope and his blessing. But rarely is it ever used in its proper context. You know, I think of even just the season we're in right now. I was preaching at Central Campus just before this, and they had a long kind of a video of uh, the graduating seniors. And I would be willing to wager that of all the video, the seniors that were graduating, I would be willing to guess there's at least a handful of them that got a card or will get a card that has this verse inscribed on it. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and hope. But folks, rarely... Is it actually shared with its appropriate meaning, given in its appropriate context? It's a promise that many are quick to rip from context and to claim as their own. Many understand the text to be about God's favor in their life and over their plans. If I just have enough confidence in my ability and enough vision for the future, God will give me ultimately what my heart Desires. I can do anything with God's blessing. Folks, that's not the prophet Jeremiah. That would be Oprah, okay? (laughs) That is Oprah's message. The book of Jeremiah is all about God disrupting the plans of his people, upending his people's dreams. God is saying in the midst of suffering, in the midst of despair, in the midst of the very judgment of God, that although that is happening, God isn't finished yet. There is hope, right? And it's not a hope that's attached to your plans. It's a hope you experience when you bring yourself under submission to God's plans. It's a radically different concept. What kind of response would this... uh, promise of Jeremiah twenty nine eleven 11, producing God's people? Well, it's an interesting response. We see it in verses 12 through 14. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you in to exile. Ultimately, the response that this future hope should generate in the hearts of God's people, the reason he points their heads forward to a distant hope that they won't even really know and experience in their generation, what it ultimately produces is repentance. Not a leaning into our own abilities and our own dreams, but a returning to God. Their motivation for living the message that Jeremiah had called them to was rooted in a hope. Though they may not see the promised land in their generation, God had not abandoned his people. He's calling them to lift their heads up above the chaos and the turmoil and to embrace the hope that he is giving them. What wonderful news! They thought the relationship with God was over; that He had abandoned them, that He had left them and deserted them, wandering on the fringes of this ancient civilization. And God's message to them is: life isn't going to be easy, but I'm still your God, and you are still my people. Should renew hope in them to carry out and live the message, ultimately that He's inviting them to live. That's exactly what he's doing to us today. But we have a different perspective, don't we? Right? They are sitting on the other side of the cross, right? They're experiencing God's judgment, his discomfort. They may not see exactly where this is going, but folks, we have the privilege of sitting under the grace of God that He has demonstrated in sending his son Jesus to die for you and me. On that tree, in the exact same way that, that the hammer of Nebuchadnezzar came and judged God's people. Judgment, he rained down his judgment. Christ bore it in his body while he hung on a tree for you and for me. And in doing so, he accomplished He accomplished making you and me his people, a people who he has given a hope to. And this hope, this hope that we have in Jesus, folks, again, it can be difficult to look at the world around us. Our temptation is to grow disheartened and discouraged and frustrated by what's happening around us as the world grows hostile to us. It's no different than it's ever been, right? God's people have always navigated a land that is foreign and hostile to God. It's the world that we live in. It may look a little different from one generation to the next. God is saying to his people, don't lose heart. I have called you to a greater hope. Look up above. Remember who you are as my people. Remember who I am as your God and participate in, in life, build houses, plant gardens, volunteer at schools, get jobs and meet your employees and your co workers. Cut somebody's grass, would you already? Live, live. Go to the jazz fest, would you already? Go to the arts fest this summer. I mean, I'm telling you, man, summer in Iowa City. Is a wonderful place to be for a variety of reasons, right? You can park downtown, you can you can enjoy downtown. When can you do that around here outside of winter break? It doesn't happen, right? Guys, he has called us his people. He wants to embrace this message. And when we do this, we fit into his eternal purposes, which transcend even our generation, even our culture, right? To participate in life fight for the peace of our city, the shalom, to see things in our community that are broken. Honestly, when I think of just even the whole mission of this place, I mean, one of the reasons why I love Parkview Church is because this is something we take very seriously. It it absolutely is. I mean, we could do church. There's people, there are lots of churches that do things very differently. But when we look, when we look at what God is calling us to in his word, He's calling to see what's broken in our city and to be a part of its wholeness. To live in such a way that we contribute to its shalom. Now, if you're familiar with the prophets, there's a prophet who who heard this message, most likely. His name is Daniel. Now, we don't know that he actually heard this letter, but we do know that he heard from Jeremiah. And if you think about how he conducted himself, he's one of those 10,000 that was skimmed off the top and sent to Babylon. It's interesting because you can ask yourself, well, where's the line? One of the things that Daniel did is, you know, if you look at it, there's a tremendous amount of Babylonian culture he embraced. He had a Babylonian name, had a Babylonian job, he had a Babylonian education, but there was something he didn't do. He wouldn't eat the food that was served to him. He, he drew the line, and I think that's that's our. That's where we need God's guidance and God's help as we consider living as God's people in this place. So where are those lines? Where where there are lines, we take stands, right? But we don't just look for a fight everywhere we go, okay? We are, this is our home for now. Participate in Iowa City life. Even if you're here for six months. Would you build a house? Cut somebody's grass? Come on. Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. We thank you that you, again, have given us your word and you've shown us exactly what it is you want from us. We thank you that you're not a God who plays games. Lord, but you shoot straight. Lord, oftentimes the word that we can have to hear can be very difficult. And I can imagine the exiles in Babylon had a hard time hearing this word. The odds are there's some in our midst this morning who haven't even a hard time hearing it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to look at the hope that you've given us in your son. Lord, that you would help us to embrace the life that you've called us to live, Lord, and that we would, in seeking the, the shalom of our city and our community, Lord, that we would ultimately be fulfilling the purposes you have, not just for our city, but for us as well. We love you, and we ask these things in your name. Amen.